Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us clearly that we are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Paul goes on to say, however, that the reason for our salvation was that we would live a life of increasingly good works in the kingdom of God. Have you received God's grace in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? Do you have a lifestyle that reflects the grace of God in Jesus Christ? Let's open our Bible now to Ephesians chapter 2 and look at the incredible riches of our Heavenly Father's grace and mercy in Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Wednesday morning here in Texas and hopefully y'all loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, spending time in your Bible, spending time just reading and studying and meditating on your Bible and just, man, just spending time in your Bible. I was watching a... Uh, I was watching a, a YouTube video yesterday and um, a man there, uh, James White is his name. And, 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 you know, I really, I really like his teachings, his specific teachings on, on how we got the Bible in, in, in the history of the scripture. Um, and, you know, just his, uh, you know, and, and his arguments on, uh, you know, just, you know, the, the faith and, you know, when he, you know, he does debates on, uh, on different things, but, you know, yeah, I prefer him as a, uh, as a professor, as opposed to a preacher. And so, uh, you know, he, and it was a funny comment he made about that. And, um, you know, and so it was, you know, uh, there's nothing, the, the, the points he was making is that what we have in this Bible is something that, that, that that uh, that so much went into, but people gave their lives for it, and that we live in a time where we get to have the scriptures, but but men and women gave their lives and were killed and were martyred so that we could have what we do today in the Word of God, and it's uh, and it's something for us to. Uh, you know, it's something for us to, that, that we really need to be thankful for. It's something that we're, we're not. Uh, certainly, I am not thankful in listening to the price that was paid by so many of my brothers and, and certainly sisters in Christ so that I could have these scriptures, um, you know, over the, over the centuries. Um, you know, it's... Uh, you know, it, it did, it, 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 it did allow me and it did drive me to a place to be a little more circumspect, right? To, to consider more the privilege I have in having these incredible scriptures um, and, and what I have here in this Bible. And so, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your, your grace on our lives. We thank you, Lord, for your love. Um. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for just for all your blessings in our lives, Lord. We thank you that we have this Bible, Father, and the care you've given us that we could have the living word of God to feed us in our spirit and our soul. But Father, even above that, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect life for us. We thank you for dying a, a perfect death for us. And we thank you that you're alive and risen today. And we worship you today, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we praise you and we worship you and we thank you for your word. We ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word, Holy Spirit. We ask you to give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that understand. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Yeah, I was I was listening to that yesterday, and uh, and James White made the point that they're having the preachers preach and the uh, and the professors and the scholars do what they do. And certainly there is overlap, but I'm certainly more of a preacher and a teacher. Um, 
and you know where I find him to be a, a a remarkable scholar. And certainly, I do. You know, I go and I learn and I dig things up, and I, you know, uh, I try to continually educate myself on you know on different aspects of scholarship, right? Um, but my particular gifting is more as a teacher and a, and a preacher, right? Um, you know, where, where, where others, again, are more gifted as, um, you know, as professors um, for the Lord um, and, 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 and scholars, right? Um, and again, certainly they, you know, certainly we all cross over, um, but it's interesting when you, when you see, a, a, you know, a man gifted in, in, in this particular area of, of scholarship, um, and just understanding and how the scriptures came together, um, and, and really how we, we came to have the Bible that we have today going all the way back to the 1500s. It's, uh, it's remarkable. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. Today we're in Ephesians chapter two. Uh, the plan is to do verses one to 10. All right. Just good stuff. Um, you remember at the end of chapter one, Paul ended chapter one by saying in verse 22 and 23, and God placed all things under his feet, Jesus, and appointed him, Jesus, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, Jesus, the fullness of him, Jesus, who fills everything in every way. Um, it's Jesus that fills everything in every way. Without Jesus, you're empty. Without Jesus, without an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, you are utterly and totally void of any meaning, of any purpose, and certainly of any life, any spiritual life. It's only in Jesus. It's only Jesus that fills everything in every way, okay? With Jesus, we have spiritual life, we have eternal life, we have meaning, we have, we have relationship with God the Father, God the Son Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, we, have, we have an eternity in heaven to look forward to. Without Jesus, we have no life, no meaning, no purpose, and all we have to look forward to is an eternity in hell of suffering and regret um, separated from the triune God. So Jesus, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I say all that to say, if you're not sure you know Jesus today, John 1.12 says, yet to, yet to all who received him, Jesus to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received Jesus Christ as your only Lord and Savior, right? The gospel, your God, God the Son, became a human man for you. He lived a perfect, righteous life in your place that you could never live. He then died a perfect, righteous, torturous death in your place that you should have died. He was then raised from the dead, right? And anyone who will receive him, right? That's the gospel. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you're a hopeless, helpless, desperate sinner and you have no hope at all for eternity except in Jesus Christ and receiving what he did for you? When you receive Jesus Christ, as John 1.12 says, yet to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. When you receive Jesus Christ, the perfect righteous life that Jesus actually lived when he walked the earth is credited to you and to me as if we lived it. The torturous death that he suffered on the cross, right, that, 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 that we should have suffered, right, he takes that from us. All of our sin, past, present, and future, is credited to Jesus and the perfect righteous life he lived on in, this, in his life is credited to us. And that exchange is the heart 
of the Christian gospel. It's incredible. It's unimaginable, right? Um, and so Paul gets into here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, that's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And right there in verse 8, I'm going to start there. There are some of the most important verses in all the Bible, okay? It's the beginning of your understanding of what it means to know God in any way, okay, begins in this understanding of Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, okay? Ephesians 2, verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is not ambiguous, okay? This is not one of those scriptures that's very hard to understand, okay? It's clear. For it is by grace you have been saved. That means saved from your sin, saved from eternity and eternity in hell, separated from the triune God, okay? Uh, that's what you've been saved from. And it happened, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. You notice it's not faith that saves you, it's for by grace you have been saved. Now, what does he mean by grace there? The words the word grace there means, means God the Father, it means his his unmerited favor toward us. It means that he blessed us with this blessing of salvation that we did not deserve, that we could not earn that we in no way merited, okay? We actually deserved judgment. We deserved to be judged, and then we deserved to be sentenced to an eternity in hell, separated from God. That's the penalty every human being that ever lived, save Jesus, the God-man, that's the penalty every one of us deserved, when we get grace, we get blessings from God that we do not deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, is when you do not get punishment from God that you do deserve. So in Ephesians eight, Ephesians 2, verse 8, there is no Ephesians 8, there's only six chapters. In Ephesians 2, verse 8, it says, for it is by grace you have been saved. So you need to have deep down in your understanding, there's nothing you did in any manner whatsoever to earn your salvation. There's nothing you did to merit your salvation. Simply all you could do is receive it as a gift, right? John 1.12, yet to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay, faith is your trust, your reliance, and your confidence 
in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. It's similar to the word belief, okay? Um, when you believe in Jesus, right, you're putting your full trust and confidence, right, in Jesus. When you have faith in Jesus, you have your full confidence and trust and reliance in Jesus alone. You're clinging to Jesus by faith, knowing that he is your only hope for the forgiveness of your sins, the salvation of your soul, the deliverance from eternal hell, and to ultimately spend eternity in heaven when you leave this life, okay? For it is by grace you have been saved. You did nothing to earn it, okay? All you could do is receive it as a gift, as it says in verse 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And we talked about what faith is, your full trust, confidence, reliance, right? In Jesus alone, clinging to Jesus alone, right? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. So again, it's not from anything you did. It is the gift of God. A gift can only be received. A gift cannot be earned, okay? John 1, 12, yet to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. So again, it's a gift. If you're trying to earn your way to heaven, if you're trying to work your way to God, if you have this idea that you're going to do a lot of work for God over here and that, you know, there's going to be this scale when you get to heaven, you've missed it. Most religions in the world have a scale mentality. They believe that, you know, when you stand before God, he's going to put your sin over here on the left side of the scale. And then he's going to put all your good works over here on the right side of the scale. And they, they kind of hope the good outweighs the bad and that God lets him in. Nowhere does it teach this. Okay. Good doesn't take away bad. We have a sin debt to God that must be satisfied. And all the good we do doesn't take away our sin. We need a, we need a savior. Okay. I've said this before. If, 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 uh, if we murder someone in the state of Texas and we're arrested for that murder, all the good we ever did in our life wouldn't take that away. And we would, we would either spend life in prison or be executed because our good works wouldn't take away that murder. If we're driving down the street and blow right through that red light, the policeman pulls me over. I can't say, but officer, I stopped at the last 50. I was good and I obeyed the law and I stopped at the last 50. It wouldn't matter. All the good I did in obeying the law and stopping at those 50 red lights would not take away the fact that I broke the law and ran this red light and I'd get a ticket and I'd have to pay that ticket, right? I'd have to pay my debt to society for running that red light, right? Because the good doesn't take away the bad, right? Um, it is the gift of God, verse 9. So again, salvation is a gift, all you can do is receive a gift. You can't earn it. It's a gift or reject a gift. Those are your only two options with a gift. You cannot earn it. You can either receive it or you can reject it. If you have not received Jesus Christ today, you have rejected him. There is no middle ground. You can't be on the fence here. You're either on one side of the fence or the other. You've either genuinely received Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, or you have indeed rejected him. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, verse 9, not by works, not by anything you've done, not by any good you've done, not by works so that no one can boast. So now we have the reason here why it's by God's grace. He's not going to have, we're not going to be in heaven and going to be able to boast to the Father. We're not going to be able to boast to Jesus. We're not going to be able to boast to the Holy Spirit that we're there because, you know, we lived a good life. That's not why we're going to be able to be in heaven. There can be no boast, okay? Not by works so that no one can boast, right? So you see, in order to be saved, in order to have the salvation that's offered to us, the gift of salvation that's offered to us, 
You have to understand it's by God's grace. And out of that comes a humility. We, we humble ourselves before Jesus, recognizing that there's nothing we can do to earn salvation, recognizing that it's a gift and it's only a gift to know to those who know their sinfulness. It's a gift to those of us who know our hopelessness, our helplessness, to those who know our desperation, that without Jesus only hell awaits. And we humble ourselves knowing we can do nothing but receive him and receive that gift. And so again, if you're not sure, if you think maybe I am trusted by myself, just go before him again in prayer. Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Those are the words. Now, again, it's not our, it's not our words that save us, okay? Um, it's Jesus that saves us. But what it's saying is that you use your words to communicate your heart to the Lord, right? So, again, your words don't save you, but you communicate the genuineness and the sincerity of your heart. To Jesus. And so again, if you're not sure that you're trusting in Jesus alone, that your faith and confidence and hope is in Christ alone, simply go before him and pray, Lord Jesus, I, I know that I'm a sinful person, Lord. I confess that I am a sinful person. And Lord Jesus, I know that I am hopeless and helpless and desperate without you. But Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. And I do believe you came into this world and lived a, a perfect righteous life even for me and died a, a perfect righteous death even for me. And I believe you're alive and risen today, Lord Jesus. And therefore, I ask you now, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, to be the, the Lord of my life. I ask you to save me from my sin, Lord Jesus. And I ask you to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and trust and confidence and hope in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's a Christian. A Christian is someone who is genuinely and sincerely in their heart, given their life to Jesus Christ and is currently trusting and relying and has their full hope and confidence in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of your soul. So again, if you're not sure, rewind the tape, use the words I used. But again, it's the humility and the sincerity and the genuineness of your heart when you approach Jesus. That's obviously all that matters, right? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now it's interesting, verse 10 here. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But look at verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So you could see that our Father is we are a work in progress, okay? We are his workmanship. He's molding us, right? Now, we certainly need to cooperate with the molding, right? But, you know, um, you know, the more we cooperate with the molding, the more we'll be worked into being more like Jesus, right? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. You have the purpose of your salvation here to do good works. So you notice you're not saved by works in any way. You cannot be. It's a gift, verse 9, right? Uh, it is the gift of God, verse 9, not by works so that no one can boast, right? But yet, so you're not saved by works, but you're clearly saved for good works. So the purpose of your Christian life is an increasing lifestyle of living for Jesus, loving for Jesus, giving for Jesus and forgiving for Jesus. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So our heavenly father has prepared, right? In advance of all of our lives, a lifestyle of using our time, our gifts and talents and our treasure, our money to do the good work of the kingdom of God 
and the gospel of God according to the word of God. Okay, so if you're a believer today, the reason for your salvation is that your father is molding you to be like Jesus and to have an increasing lifestyle of doing good work in the kingdom of God. Okay, you're not saved by any of this, but this is the result and should be the necessary result of your salvation is an increasing lifestyle of of serving Jesus Christ, of walking with Jesus, of using your time, your talents, and your money, right, to do the work of the kingdom of God, to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, right, and to walk in as a disciple of Jesus Christ, to walk in the word of God, consistently growing in the word of God, and above all, growing to obey the word of God, growing to obey your Bible, and of course, we repent where we fall short, right? So the purpose of our salvation is a lifestyle of increasing, increasingly good work in the kingdom of God. Again, using your time, your gifts and talents, and your money. So if you're a Christian today and you believe you're a Christian and that you are trusting in Jesus Christ and you have spiritual life in Jesus Christ, do you have a lifestyle of doing good work in the kingdom of God? Right. You want to examine yourself. Right. Uh, you know, is this you know, can you are you experiencing the workmanship of your father? Do you experience your heavenly father convicting you, the spirit of God convicting you? Right. To have an increasing lifestyle of doing good in every aspect of your life. Right. There ought to be there ought to be some outward evidence of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ. There ought to be. Now, again, we're all at different places in our walk with Jesus. We're all at a different maturity level, so to speak. Um, but there ought to be a desire in your heart for Jesus. There ought to be a love for Jesus, a concern for Jesus, a concern for his people, a concern for the gospel, a concern for the word of God, right? So again, look at yourself today. Can you see that you are God's workmanship? And can you see in your life that you were created in Christ Jesus, not in anything else? The only place that God's workmanship can be is in Christ Jesus, okay? You can't be created in anything else, okay? There is no, you cannot have life, okay, in anything else, okay? So again, if you're following Buddhism or Hinduism or, or Islam, without Christ Jesus, there can be no good, okay? No eternal good. We certainly can do good by what's called the common grace of God, but it's only in Christ Jesus that we can have the good works to advance in eternity, starting now and forevermore, um, in the advancement of the kingdom of God and the word of God in the gospel of God, only in Jesus Christ our Lord. Everything is in Christ Jesus Again, remember verse 23 of chapter 1, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Good stuff. So we did 8, 9, and 10, and so now we're going to go back to verse 1 and do verses 1 to 7. All right. Ephesians 2, verse 1. As for you, so Paul, remember, Paul spent the first chapter um, just explaining about you know, the incredibleness of our salvation in Jesus, all that Jesus has done for us, that the Father called us, um, that he predestined us, um, that he chose us before the creation of the world. And, and again, he ended it by talking about Jesus, the fullness of him who fills everything in any way, in every way. And now he, he moves over to uh, chapter two, and Paul's now going to start speaking about you and me, and what we were before, before Christ came to live in us. Verse 1, as for you, so Jesus is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way in the entire universe, right? But now let's talk about us. It's important we understand here, Stephen, right, the difference between who Jesus is and who we are. We are not God, okay? Um, it's important we understand not only who he is and who we are, but also who we are not, okay? 
We need a healthy understanding. Of course, our Heavenly Father loves us unconditionally, okay? He, he sent Jesus Christ, God the Son, Jesus, willingly became a human man for you, died a torturous death for you and me because of his incredible love for us. So yes, it's certainly important we know the blessings we have in Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father. But it's important we know what we're not here. So Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Wow. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, okay? Before you've come to know Jesus Christ in this life, you are spiritually dead, okay? Um, you have no relationship, no understanding of who God is in any manner and in every way. Now, you're not physically dead. You're not intellectually dead, okay? Your spirit is dead to God. Obviously, you're physically alive. You're intellectually alive. You're mentally alive, okay? You can, you can grasp, right, some things, clearly. But until you receive Jesus Christ, as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. Because of our sin, we come into this world. When we enter this world, when we leave our mother's womb, we come out naturally alive, physically alive, mentally alive, but our spirit is dead to God because we have a sinful nature that we receive from our father all the way back to Adam when he sinned and, and disobeyed God when he ate the fruit that he was commanded not to eat, okay? When Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, they immediately died spiritually, and then they passed that spiritual death. They passed that nature to sin, right? into their children, okay? And along with a sinful nature comes spiritual death. Every human being ever born except Jesus, that's why Jesus needed to be born of a virgin. Born of a virgin, Jesus does not receive the sinful nature that he would have gotten if he was born in the ordinary way. If, if Joseph and Mary had Jesus, Jesus would have received the sinful nature and he would have been born spiritually dead. Being born of a virgin, Jesus enters this world when he's born from Mary, not only physically alive and mentally alive, but spiritually alive because he did not receive the sinful nature from Joseph. So again, that's part of the necessity of the virgin birth. So again, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And you could, you could verify that in verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Um, and clearly he's talking about Satan here. He calls Satan the ruler of the kingdom of the air. What does that mean? Satan is the ruler in this earth, okay, of, of the heavenly realms or the spiritual realms in this earth. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So when you, when you lived in a worldly manner, when you followed the world, when you believed the things that the world tells you, and when you followed Satan in his ways and his thoughts, there ought to be a place in our life where we recognize this. You know, one of the one of the blessings of being an adult convert, I didn't become a Christian until I was, you know, around 27, you know, could have even been 28 years old. I think I was, I was 27, 28 years old. I became a, I became a Christian and I've been walking with Jesus for around 25 years now. Um, but I clearly can remember a time um, when I was dead in my transgressions and sins. When I look back, I can see in which you used to live. I can see when, when I followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, okay? Um, can you look back on your life? And for most of us, even as Christians, even now, we still are in many ways um, following the ways of the world, okay? That's what, you know, a believer ought to live their life 
And there ought to be a, a meaningful difference in the way an unbeliever lives their, lives their life in Christ and the, the way you live your life, the way a believer lives their life in Christ, okay? So when you look back on your life, okay, um, can you see a clear difference when you lived your life in a very worldly way, a completely selfish, self-serving, myopic, all about me and my fun and my desires and my pleasures and my money and my life, okay? Now, as I said, many as Christians still live this way entirely today. Um, and if, if, if still, if you're still living your life in an entirely worldly way, and you're not convicted of your sin, and you're not living at all the way the Bible tells you to do again, you want to you wanna go back to the cross because there's a, there's a good chance you're not saved, okay? When you get saved, Jesus comes to live in you, and you have a desire not to live in sinful, worldly ways, okay? Um, and so again, can you see a maturity in your life? Can you see a growth in your life where you're living less and less in the ways of the world and less and less following Satan, the ruler of the kingdom of the air? And again, the kingdom of the air is the invisible spiritual realm of this earth, right? So we live in a physical earth, but there's also a spiritual realm here on earth. And it says that Satan is the ruler of that. And it says he's the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. If, 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 first of all, you're not obedient in believing the gospel, if, you, if you've rejected Jesus Christ, and remember, there's either receiving him, John 1, 12, or rejecting him. Any who have not received him have, as a matter of course, rejected him, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. And if that's the case, then Satan is at work in you, right? And, he, and, and his purpose is is in disobedience. The spirit who is now now at work in those who are disobedient. The, Satan and the demons, their goal, their desire is to push you into greater and greater disobedience in your belief of the Bible and push you into greater and greater disobedience in how you're living your life, right? They want you to live your life contrary they want you to live your life living as the world does. Um, Satan and demons do not want you to believe the word of God, and they don't want you to live your life according to the word of God. They want you to live in disobedience regarding whatever you believe, and they want you to live in disobedience in regard to how you're living. So again, examine yourself and see how are you living your life? Are you living your life? None of us are perfect. We're all sinners. But do you see a pattern in your life? of growing more and more interested in Jesus and growing to know him and going to live for him. And again, if you don't see that pattern, that's an area of earnest repentance for you. And again, to, to go back to the cross, to receive Jesus anew and afresh. Um, and, and again, because you've been created to more and more not live according to the world and to do the good work of the kingdom of God. Again, that doesn't help save us, but that ought to be the result of your, of your salvation. Look at verse three. All of us also lived among them at one time. So you see that? All of us, Paul said, have lived in this way in which we followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. All right. And Satan was at work in us to, to, to live in a disobedient fashion. Right. Verse three. All of us also lived among them at one time. And this is what it means to live among those who are not Christians. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. That's this pretty heavy language, right? So again, if you're in Christ today, you should not have a lifestyle. Okay, Matthew, if you're in Christ today, Paul said, all of us also lived past tense among them at one time. And how did we used to live? Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. If that's not past tense in your life, then you want to look and see, am I really in Jesus Christ? Do I still have a consistent lifestyle of looking to gratify sinful pleasures, earthly pleasures, 
carnal pleasures, lustful pleasures? Do I just still have a desire and am I obsessed with greed and money and lust and just power um, and just worldliness and things that the Bible clearly says are sinful? If these are a part of your day-to-day life, okay, then then very possibly you're not a genuine Christian, okay? Because Paul says in verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, right, Peyton? Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. You see that, Benny? And following its desires and thoughts. So again, I keep saying this, examine yourself and see where you are in this. Are you getting better and better in this, Scott, right? May, are you more and more, you know, growing to not gratify the desires of your sinful nature? Or do you still just completely give yourself over to sinful desires, sinful thoughts, sinful pleasures, things that the Bible clearly says are disobedient and sinful, right? So examine yourself. But look look how he ends this verse. This is heavy. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Wow. Like the rest, Paul said, verse 3, we were by nature objects of wrath. That is a very very heavy-handed statement, okay? Paul says if you're not in Christ today, you are by nature an object of God's wrath, okay? Uh, Again, extremely heavy language, but Paul is trying to drive home to us, to me, to all of us, what we really are without a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. Until we've genuinely received Jesus Christ, we are by nature not objects of God's love as we are in Christ, but if you're not in Christ, we are by nature objects of his wrath. And again, of all things in all the world that you don't want to be, you don't want to be an object of the wrath of Almighty God. So again, if you're not sure that you're a Christian or you're listening to this and you think, you know what, I... I still do follow my sinful nature every way. Go back to the foot of the cross. Receive Jesus into your heart. Humble yourself before Jesus in the fear of God, confessing your hopelessness, helplessness, and desperation without him. Okay? And if you are a Christian today and yet you can see that, you know what, you are living, you know, more and more and you do love Jesus, but there are still these aspects in your life, you know, um, and, and all of us have this to some extent. You know, we want to repent where we still do follow the cravings and desires of our sinful nature, even though that's not our complete lifestyle, but yet we consistently want to live a more Christ-centered, Christ-like and holy life, right? Of all things you don't want to be, it is an object of the wrath of God. And all those who are not in Christ, that's what we are if we're not in Jesus. I don't like it. I'm not happy about it. I hate it. That's what the scripture teaches, okay? That's why we all need Jesus. That's why all 8 billion people in the world need Jesus. Because we don't want to be an object of the wrath of God. And ultimately, the wrath of God will sentence us to eternal hell because we have not received Jesus Christ. Verse 4. So he's just, he is strongly laid the tenuous position we were in before Christ. But now look at verse four. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, look at that, verse four. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, it's a good thing he's rich in mercy because I'm, I'm such a sinful man that I needed not just mercy. It's a good thing God is rich in mercy because if he was poor in mercy, then I'd be in trouble. Humanity needs immense mercy. We deserved eternal punishment in hell. All human beings deserve eternal punishment. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, our Father loved us. He loves you. 
who is rich in mercy, right? He, he's got immense mercy. He has riches of mercy. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So, so in his mercy, remember, mercy is when we do not get punishment we do deserve from God. Grace is when we get blessings we do not deserve. Mercy is when we do not get punishment we do deserve from God, right? But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. So again, it wasn't when we were wonderful and beautiful and living for him and loving for him and giving for him and trying to live for Jesus. That's not when. It was when we were totally self-consumed, entirely selfish, when we were just we were just completely worthless, sinful people that thought of nothing but ourselves, right? We were dead in our transgressions and sins. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. That's the, that's the meaning of love. He didn't love us when we, were, when we were looking to live a Christ-centered life. He loved us when we were spiritually dead and living in, 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 in sinful, uh, you know, gratifying the desires of our sinful nature, being led by the devil. That's when he loved us in that place. And that's how we ought to be in love. I mean, the, the, the greatest evidence of Christ's love is when you love people that are not lovable to you. And that's hard. And yet God, who is rich in mercy and because of his great love for us, loved us when we were unlovable. And that ought to be the pattern of our love. Made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Lord, help us to just to emulate your love in this. It is by grace you've been saved. So Paul is hammering home this point. You're not saved by your good life. You, he saved you when you were dead and, 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 and could do nothing of eternal value. It is by grace you've been saved. It's been by, you've been saved by God's unmerited favor. You and I didn't deserve God's grace. I deserved his punishment. His wrath is what I deserved, yet in his great love for me and for you, if you've received Jesus Christ, because of his rich mercy, he saved you by grace. Verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You see that? Look at that. Verse 6, if you're in Christ today and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him, and the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And so again, if we're still in this life, if you're listening to this, obviously you're in the earthly realm, you're still here. But in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly realm, we are already there with Christ. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's something we need to meditate on more. Right, uh, right, right Ian? We need to meditate more, Jess, on this fact. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In the eternal realm, in the spiritual realm, we are seated with Christ. To be seated means we're, we're at peace. We're comfortable. It's finished. We're seated with Christ. We're, we're, we're resurrected with Christ in the spiritual realm. And when we leave this body and go to heaven and get an immortal body, that will be our complete reality. Right now, obviously, in our earthly bodies, it doesn't feel like we're seated in the heavenly realms with Christ, but we indeed are spiritually, if you're in Christ today, seated with Jesus. And again, it doesn't mean to be physically sit sitting down. It means to be just at peace, right? There's nothing to be done. It's finished. Jesus said in John 19, right? It is finished. And if you've received Jesus, you're seated with him, your sins are paid for, your eternity is secure, you're already, if you're a genuine Christian, seated with Christ in heavenly places. Verse 7, in order that in the coming ages, and this is the purpose of this, in order that in the coming ages, which is certainly now and forevermore, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's verse seven. Again, it's only in Christ Jesus. 
All of this is done in order that our Heavenly Father in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. For all eternity, our Heavenly Father is going to continue to show us more and more of his grace. Again, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, we have to get down in us this understanding of the incomparable riches of his grace. He's rich in mercy. He has incomparable grace. And we're going to spend all eternity with our Father revealing to us deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper levels of his grace. And that certainly ought to be our prayer now, that he would reveal to us deeper levels of his grace. As we grow in Jesus, the more we really grow to understand that we are objects of mercy and objects of grace and how desperate we really are for him. So Father, we do thank you for your word today. We thank you for your favor, your mercy, your goodness, and your grace on our lives, Father. We thank you for your love. Father, we just worship you and thank you and praise you and love you today, Lord. We do pray, Father, that you would reveal to us, even now, a deeper level of your grace and your mercy in our lives, Father. Father, we ask you to forgive us where we still live in a way where we're gratifying the desires of our sinful nature. We ask you to cleanse us of unrighteousness. Father, for all those that don't truly know you, for all those who have not received Jesus, I pray they would be convicted today, Holy Spirit, and they would receive Jesus Christ as their only Lord and Savior and become your child, Father. Father, we thank you that it is by grace we have been saved through faith. We thank you that this is not from ourselves. We thank you that it is the gift of God. We thank you that it's not by any works. And we thank you, Father, that none of us can boast before you. We thank you for your mercy, Father. And we do ask you, Holy Spirit, to lead us into the good works that our Heavenly Father has prepared for us to do. In Jesus' name, thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.